If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. For everyone listening, we've had Barbara Clark, the author of the new memoir, The Red Kitchen, on our podcast recently when her memoir came out earlier this year. And just loved our conversation with her and thought, you know what? Let's keep chatting. So thank you for coming back, Barbara. We're so glad to see you again. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Good. Well, I think we could go a number of directions with you, Barbara. You are just a wise woman and just have so many experiences to share as well as talents. And you're an amazing writer. Um, Really loved your book that came out. I was so happy that you sent actually six copies of that book for those survivors who are joining us in our unleash groups, the support groups for survivors. That was very generous of you. Thank you. But I thought it would be really great if we could kind of just unpack with you a little bit about the process of writing your story. I'll be honest with you. I get that question so much. Um, you know, just having put out my own story and book form different ways. Um, you know, there's a lot of survivors out there who do have the courage to share their story and they feel very called and compelled to, you know, share their story with, with the hope that it would inspire and help someone else. And I just love that so many survivors have that heart and, and some have the heart, but don't feel ready. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, the questions of, when and how, and is this going to end up being harder than I think? And then what if I actually get all the way through this whole process and then put this out there in the world and it sort of comes back in negative ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think these are all things you've had to consider, Barbara. So I would love to kind of hear your perspective on some of those things. And then we'll just kind of go from there. Okay. Well, it took me uh, a really, really long time uh, to get the story down. And I wrote a lot of my family stories with the understanding that there was something going on for me uh, with my father that I could never quite identify. Um, And that was through the years, including when I was in high school. I just had an odd feeling about him, but had no particular memory. Um, I just knew there was something there. So Mm. I wrote most of the stories that are in the Red Kitchen, uh, kind of their very first drafts, almost before I even had the memory come Mm. back to me with therapy. Um, And so uh, for me, and I guess it's just a piece of advice, is that um, I think when when you really manage to process as much as you possibly can about the trauma that you've gone through 
is when it's a good time to write and not before. Um, mm -hmm. I think you need, in any work, you need some distance. When you're writing, you know, you write a first draft, you, if if you can, you put it away days, weeks, maybe even years sometimes, yeah. and then go back with more wisdom and more um, kind of a bigger picture of what was the point of writing that and what would readers want to get from that. So I took a really long time and I'm really glad I did in that I didn't feel raw, but the process of writing it down um was somewhat painful, but not as painful as it was when I was in therapy going through the recovery process. So mm. I feel like there's two kinds of, well, more than two, but at least two I can think of, maybe three pains, kinds of painful experiences. One of them is un unraveling what happened to you and going through that sort of trying to get through trauma and probably PTSD as well mm -hmm. <clears throat> with some, with guidance and good help. Um, yeah. Which is an is issue for me is I don't think there's near enough of it out there. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second time is when you really start to write about it and share it, not with others, but with yourself. I mean, yeah. really the first, the first draft is the story you're telling yourself. And then you're ready to sort of go back, look at it and see, okay, this is something I want to share with others. And at that point, is where I kind of made a decision, although the <laughs> decision's kind of a too strong a word, where I thought I would really like to have this in a book and get it out. Um, and then the sort of third, third, I don't know if I'd call it pain, but kind of like anxiety about it is, what are people going to think when they read it about me? Right. And some of the people who read it, you know, knew my family really well. Um, my ex-husband said to me before he, he read the book, I think your father really loved me and I really loved him. And I was thinking, good for you. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> I thought my father by that time was really not on my love list uh, of people <laughs> I love. Um, <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, sometimes particularly, well, I, I can't just, blame it on men, but more often men seem more uncomfortable to talk about the book than the women do. Um, I don't know whether it's because they've been through less trauma or they're more, they don't know how to talk about it. Um, but most of the women who've read it have gotten back to me, not in everybody, but you know, a lot of women who've reviewed the book that I don't know um, have said, you know, this really, it wasn't my story, but it's, it's helped me to think about my own story and, mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily any kind of abuse, but just how women see themselves and how they are treated often in the culture that we have. Um, and mm -hmm. we're not the only culture that I think doesn't really do right by women often, but um, of course. so I think, you know, it's kind of a process and mm -hmm. now I guess I learned something uh, reading an, uh, an article by a writer who collapsed on a plane. And um, it was a very funny story he wrote about. He was on a book tour. This is long, long before COVID. And he was on a book tour and he um, just was dehydrated and kind of passed out on a plane. And the flight attendant was standing over him and she said, are you okay? You know, what have you been doing? He said, well, I've been on a book tour. And she said, oh, what's your book about? I mean, this guy's lying still on the floor of the plane. <laughs> and he said, you know, he was 
prepared for his 30 second elevator speech that we're all supposed to get, you know, so to quickly tell him what the book's about. But the end of his article was so smart. He said, you know, really, you don't know what your book is about. It's the readers who decide what your book is about. You know, they take from the book what works for them. So right. to tell them this is what I think the book is about is mm-hmm. really almost irrelevant. It's, That's you know, so you wrote it. So yeah. if you don't know what your book is about or why mm-hmm. you wrote it, well, then you're kind of in trouble. But mm-hmm. um even when you're sharing your story, you know, verbally, I think people can, can take from that because it's a screen They're they're, they're hearing your experience through their own experience. Yeah. And the thing that maybe needed you to push a button for them, Mm -hmm. it is the thing that will be highlighted. And so I could share my whole story and then you know, someone will say, oh my gosh, I just, I love that you're talking about this. And I'll be like, oh, well, I took maybe three seconds out of an entire 30 minute speech to say that, but but wow, that's (laughs) the piece you needed for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same thing with writing. I love that. Yeah. So that, that's sort of, um, I don't know if I'd call it advice, but really my process. And I think it's pretty valid in terms of, um, being prepared, although I've written several articles about this, but when the box, my copy of my books arrived, really, I opened up the box of books and I expected, you know, like joy to emanate from the box. (laughs) And really the feeling I had was, holy crap, I've written this book now. Yeah, like, oh, Um, oh, crap, now it's out. (laughs) You know, and if it- Where's it going to end up? If I had those books- the bookstores were getting those books and Amazon was getting those books. And I was like, Oh no. Yeah. So it was, it was a couple of days of feeling really like, Whoa, ah, what was I thinking? But yeah. you know, then it's kind of, you settle down and you get used to it. And then, you know, you were one of my very first podcasts and just be with the two of you and talk about the book. It gave me really some more confidence to talk about the book other places. Mm-hmm. So I really, value that first time that we were together and it really helped um because mm. I got learned to kind of expect what people were going to want to ask me and yeah. how to talk about it without feeling like oh gosh you know, yeah <laughs> I'm so sorry I wrote this depressing <laughs> yeah. apologies yeah <laughs> no what I think is is great about being a writer being a published writer is um you know you're not writing for yourself anymore you're yeah. writing for others and that's where it matters. And I think, you know, for you and coming on the podcast the first time you realize this matters for other people, you know, we can, you're talking about different pains and different processes mm-hmm. of writing. And there's a, there's a certain point where you're writing for yourself. Like you said, you're writing for yeah. your own healing. Mm-hmm. You're writing so that you can kind of organize what is not organized inside. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're regulating what is not being right, what's dysregulated within you. Mm -hmm. And so that's not for everyone. And I think it's important that we, we recognize that because to be honest, some people put that stuff out. It was meant for them only. And sometimes it's not ready for for (laughs) everyone else. Um, But then there comes a point when you've done that work, you have Mm -hmm. 
you have done that hard work on your journey. And now you're taking parts of it that can be used for other people to help them to, to say, you're not alone to say this really worked for me. And I think it can work for other people too. I have seen it. And I've said this many times on this podcast, I believe, or at least I've said it to a lot of people, (laughs) but you know, I think for me, I, I tend to ask myself the question before I speak on a stage or before I write it on something public, is this, am I sharing this out of my wounds or out of my scars? Right. Yeah. And I think that's the differentiation there is, is when you're writing for yourself, you're, you're working out the wounds, Mm -hmm. but once those become something that is a scar and something that can be shared publicly in a way that could inspire, could encourage, could bring comfort, could help someone realize they're not alone. Then that's when, yeah, Yeah. we, we put it in the form of something like the red kitchen, which is such a beautiful work. um, Even, um, even going back through and uh, making the final draft with the publisher, um, I looked at the thing still. I mean, after all this going through back and forth, I can't tell you how many drafts um, and working with a critique group who also edited it and talked. we talked about it. I still found things in there I'd never seen before. So it's always really interesting how sometimes something is so obvious you don't even see it. And sometimes things are so deeply buried that you just have to keep kind of poking around and get the things that are really there. I mean, I, I really, even though I, I was, you know, red hot feminist in the 60s and 70s, you know, I didn't burn my bra, but, you know, I thought it was a fun idea. <laughs> but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I really didn't realize the kind of, um, stuff that was going on that my father set up against my mother. I just never really, you know, he really was happiest when we, she and I didn't get along very well because then I was on his team. It was kind of like a team, you know, choose one of us and uh, just, just really subtle ways that uh, I would have never called him passive aggressive until I really wrote the book and looked back and was editing it and um, rethinking some of the, places where my mother and I reconciled and I could talk about it, you know, with other people and also briefly talk about it with her. I mean, I did tell her what happened. She did believe me, which is so important. I, I was prepared for her not to believe me, but um, she did, but we did not spend a lot of time going through it because one for me, my therapy I felt was very personal and I really didn't want to go through it. I didn't want to have like mock therapy with my mother because um, she's a d- different generation. I mean, mm-hmm. she, you know, she thought you had to be, you know, like in a ward before you could get therapy, you know, like, mm. so, um, yeah, I, I didn't trust her. It wasn't, you know, I, I guess I, the question I wrote in the book was, can you love someone that you don't completely trust? And I think you can, I don't, didn't completely mm. trust my mother with the intimate details of my therapy, but I did trust her enough to tell her and to hope and then be grateful that she believed me. So um, it, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but yeah, really, I, you know, also I think the thing is that if, if you have some help um, and you learn to trust your gut on things, you kind of do pretty well, I think, but you know, I wouldn't want to trust my gut without the help and I wouldn't want the help without trusting my own 
sense of me and who I want to be and mm. you know who I am at the at that moment. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point too, just about having, you know, um, a trusted trauma informed community around yeah. you while writing. Yeah. Because yeah. you can, writers, it, it's difficult. You can really, I mean, I can remember every night, 3 a.m., getting up and writing because that's the only quiet time I had. You know, I had small children. It was it was crazy making. And you can feel like you're just in a closet of your own ideas and your own story and your own yeah. trauma. And the world is closing in on you. But you have this important thing you have to get out of you at the same time. Yeah. So the world's closing in, but your body is turning inside out before your mm-hmm. own eyes. Um, so I think it's really important, like you said, to have those people that are trauma informed, you know, around you to be able to bounce your ideas off of as you're processing it. And it's not, it's so many drafts of the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're not the only one reading your work. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, um, even the two, my two critique partners, neither one of them, um, had anything like my story, um, so they were a good bellwether for me to see that even though, you know, they were horrified in a way when we got to the chapter about what I uncovered, um, horrified for me, not necessarily horrible information, but good. you know, yeah. they've heard it before. It's not like new information, um, but to, to have their reaction be, you know, we want to know this. Uh, we're not turning away from you. You know, like we don't want to be your critique partners anymore because this is just too awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So they were really helpful in being a non-trauma uh, group that accepted yeah. what I had to say. So that's it was, great. It was good. And the group that I was with in this nine-month memoir course, also many of the many of the women. It was mostly women. Many of the women in the group had been through something that was traumatic of some sort um, Mm. and often abuse of some kind as well. So either spousal abuse or, you know, whatever kind of abuse, but, Mm -hmm. um, and that's often, I mean, you know, you, you've got the data. It's so true for so many women. I mean, I don't know what it is now, one in four, one in five or something like that. Yeah. uh, One in three, but, but, you know, I think it's so true too, like how our stories though it might not be the same kind of trauma or the same type of abuse. Gosh, it just having one woman be able to say, you know, Mm -hmm. this happened to me. Pain is pain, you know, right. Trauma Mm -hmm. is trauma. Shame is shame. Vulnerability is vulnerability. Like it just extends, I think an arm to someone else who's gone through something else. Yeah. Even if it's not the same thing, it's just to say like, wow, like you can talk about that. Maybe I can talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole issue of is this polite conversation or, um, you know, how to move through feeling shameful about your story um, and moving into those places where, you know, not a status thing. It's just a human thing. I think that really is so important for people. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just reading... This was a little off the topic, but it just, it was found it interesting. I was just reading about some studies they did on trigger warnings mm. in uh, universities and how the, actually the study found that by issuing trigger warnings for 
people who are still in trauma haven't, haven't worked through it or have PTSD, it doesn't help them. It hurts them to have this trigger warning because they put it back down again. You know, they have this, oh, I don't, I don't want to go there. Um, when in fact, they need to go there, that it's what's holding them back. It's that dark place inside that they can't put light onto. And um, I just think it was very interesting that um, this guy, I've got it just sitting here, he said, he said, avoiding reminders of trauma maintains PTSD despite any temporary relief avoidance may provide. And I think that avoidance, you know, it's uh, it's it's easy to avoid because who, who wants to go there? But you almost have to go there in order and get to the other side in order to get yourself back, you know, to be the person that you deserve to be that um, isn't under the thumb or the experience of that somebody else has put on you. Um, so I, I just found that really interesting. Yeah, I, it is interesting. Yeah. I still kind of tend towards, I'd like to give consent to consuming something that might be triggering, like yeah, knowing yeah. what I'm getting into, but I do yeah. appreciate yeah. another perspective. Yeah. This professor says, you know, he, he says at the beginning of the class, when they go through the syllabus, we're going to be talking about some topics that, you know, yeah, a generic might be difficult. Yeah. Might be difficult. Um, yeah, but not like uh, before you get to a story. You know, I'm giving you this trigger. Yeah, warning. like you should. <laughs> like, yeah, it's another one of those words that sort of gets out there. And like, you know, like if you want to talk about canned soup, you have to give somebody a trigger warning. You know, <laughs> like, come on. You know? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> goodness, I've had enough trauma in my life. I feel like I could look right or left and find something that's going to trigger me at this point in my life yeah i mean i'm triggered by a lot of stuff but they don't give me warnings yes yeah right 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 let's just can we just put a warning on the entire world right now Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i mean i think Mm. there should be a giant trigger warning over tiktok i mean i'm just shocked at what i see and and especially for young girls it's like oh lord i just yeah Oh, well, that's a whole nother topic, but anyway. Yeah, just, and that's just one of millions. Yeah, but yeah. I'm wondering though, Barbara, if you'd be willing to kind of go there with us, like mm-hmm. talk about, have you been, have you felt supported by people who knew you once your story comes out? That's something that I don't think a lot of authors talk about, specifically trauma survivor authors. Yeah. Because it's hard. Yeah, Um I can't think of only one person <clears throat> who um, is actually no longer a friend. Um, I noticed that she uh, unsubscribed from my blog. <laughs> it's mm. like perfect, perfect ending to a friendship. I'm unsubscribing <laughs> yeah. to your blog. Yeah. You know, like, oh, nail in the coffin. Stab me with a knife. You feel? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, uh, I could tell <clears throat> she didn't like the topic. Mm. She didn't like uh, me talking about it. And, uh, you know, like I had a virtual book launch and she told me, and I mean, that's the sort of, I noticed her passive aggressive nature kind of, I was surprised by it, but told me she only watched half of it because she was really tired of hearing about uh, my journey. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> that should have been, you know, like a heads up, but we saw each other a few more times after that. Um, 
Well, we tend to give people a little more grace than they deserve sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, did I die from that? No, not really. And I kind of think sometimes people's really negative reaction is really a projection onto you about what they haven't dealt with yet. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, when I, a couple of visits later, you know, she told me about how her, her uh, grandchildren don't talk to her. And, you know, uh, I thought, okay, you know, there's some pain in there that she doesn't want to get into. Um, so yeah. why yeah. would she want to get into mine? Um, yeah. But it, basically, I think, I think the, uh, the response has been very positive in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of men that I know wrote me who had the, who bought the book, wrote me and said, I feel like I know you a lot better now, which I found was really a nice way of them saying, you know, that story, your trauma piece didn't completely dominate the book, you know, that I got to find out who you are in a lot of different ways. I mean, one man, you know, talked about how he had no idea I grew up in the Midwest and what that was like. And um, one woman who was a librarian who got this, I don't know how she got my book, but anyway, she was talking about, you know, writing and literature and how these kinds of books are really helpful. They need to be more of them, not less of them, but they need to be really well-written books, not just mm-hmm. confessionals, you know? So, um, right. mm-hmm. and, um, and that, that would be another thing I would advise if you're thinking about writing your story is, you know, get some professional help, have a, you know, a developmental editor, look at it, get it edited for sure. Um, but make sure that what your, you know, that your story has an arc, that you're not just leaving people hanging in the trauma, that you, you know, that you have recovered as best you can or where you are right then in the recovery process. Right. Um, but make it literature, not just a confessional. Um, yeah. Yeah. That brings up a couple more questions for me. So one of them, one of them is, um, you know, did you find yourself writing about someone in the book that maybe later didn't want to be talked about or didn't like being part of your story, even though they are? I don't think my ex-husband was too crazy about it, but he read it. And he sent me a nice email. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he had an affair and, uh, you know, it, it really ended our early marriage and I had two little kids and, you know, no job. So yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty crappy thing to do, but mm-hmm. you know, it, that's how it was. Um, and, you know, he wrote and said something semi-polite, like, of course I have a different view of some things. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I'm right. that, yeah. You know, that's okay. Um, yeah. My parents were both deceased. My father died a long time ago. My mother died in uh, about 11 years ago. Um, she would have liked it, I think. I think she would have really, you know, I dedicated the book to her because she never really got to tell her story. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't imagine from a spouse's perspective what it's like to be married to somebody who is an abuser. Uh, I think it must be awful. Um and, uh, you know, I don't think if I had come to her as a child and said, you know, daddy did this, I don't think she would have known, one, what to do with it, and two, would have not wanted to believe it. And I 
you know, so I'm grateful. This is, this is a long time ago yeah. when, uh, you know, nobody talked about this stuff. I mean, I mean, if you just look at the, the Boy Scouts of America that I just looked at, I mean, we're now just talking about years and years of abuse to boys, yeah. um, that they're just settling this case. Um, so back when I was a child, I don't think anybody would have believed me. I think they would have said maybe I was making it up or being difficult or, you know, nice girls don't talk. I don't know what they would have said, but I didn't, I had enough good sense to not trust anybody, even at that young age that to tell them what, what I thought happened. Cause I think my father would have completely denied it. In fact, I didn't put it in the book, but years later, but part, before I really had that last bit of therapy that unraveled everything for me, I said to my father, do you ever wonder why mom kept us apart so much? And he said, I have no idea. Um, and it's in the book as well, you know, so I don't trust that he would have said, oh, you know what, let's go to therapy. I really want to work this out with you. I don't yeah. think it would have ever happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, most everybody else, um, I changed almost everyone's names, yeah. which I thought gave them some protection. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I had a very, I mean, I don't see the details of the book. I had a very brief uh, sexual relationship with a woman who has been my lifelong friend. We're still friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered I'm not a lesbian. So, um, and I changed her name and changed everything I could think of about her and how I met her and so forth, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I owe her that. Um, yeah. And she yeah. read that chapter. I sent it to her in advance and said, is this enough to disguise, you know, you and, if you're not comfortable, tell me what I would need to do because I'm going to leave it in the book, but I don't yeah. want to make you regret the book or be uncomfortable. And um, that's very kind of you. <clears throat> well, I think, you know, I owed it to her and, you know, we're, she's yeah. still very much alive and we're, we went through a whole lot um, before that incident. And after that incident, we, mm-hmm. I lost touch with her for a number of years. And then we just, I mean, we just have this one of those friendships that mm-hmm. it seemed to me a natural kind of like move to see if, if that's more of what we had. And it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but it's an important loving relationship. And um, I've always felt completely supported by her. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think most of the people, my daughters know about it. They're very supportive. Um, my oldest daughter, I live with her. We added, she you know, was an editor on the book. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, uh, I just, I think if you, you know, the, Anne Lamott has this saying, I think it's I Anne, was just you know, going like, to say that. Yeah, you know, if you don't want to be in, the, in this book, you should have been nicer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. You, own, <laughs> you own everything that happened to you. Tell your story. And if yeah, people wanted yeah. you to write warmly about them, yeah, they should yeah. have behaved better. Yeah, exactly. Anne Lamott. Yeah. Yes. So I think that's true. I think for the most part. Um, I don't think my ex-husbands show up too greatly in this thing, nor this guy, this, this guy, Hank, oh, Lord. But, uh, and, you know, I, the piece of the book for me that's important is that my early relationship with my father, because it went so long before I found whatever it was, pushed me to find out finally what happened to me. It influenced every relationship I had with a man. 
And um, for that, I will not forgive him. Um, that is the one thing I won't forgive in him is that he really set me up to have troubled relationships. I could never be as intimate with a man or find a man who wanted to be as intimate with me because of that. Um, yeah. I always held back and so did my partners because I was looking for that kind of a partner and, you know, they met me where I was. So, um, and that's a real, I think that's a really regretful and um, unfortunate aspect of, of the abuse of, you know, yeah. uh, at an early age like that. And at any age, I mean, you really, if I had known what I knew, know now, then, you know, as a, maybe a young married woman, I would know, have known how to make better choices and, you know, really done more understanding of what was keeping me from having a really good marriage. Um, mm. I just never had one. And not because I'm totally blameless. I don't, not, that's what I'm saying, but you know, those ways that trauma influences you, mm. it's really helpful. That's why writing is so great. My program is so good is to get down on paper and start looking at what it is that is in your way to be the person that you really want to be mm-hmm. and to own it, you know, and um, if you're shameful about yourself, it's really hard to own yourself. I mean, you know, this is, and there's no reason why anybody I can think of who's been in any kind of trauma should feel that shame, but we all do, I think, you know, and the only way out of it is to talk to other people about it and to find out it's really not necessary, but it's always kind of there for me a little bit, you know, I always feel like, ugh. But the support I've gotten and uh, and the writing of the book, I think, has really given me a lot more understanding of who I am. And even now, um, unrelated to trauma and abuse, I mean, I think these are really weird times that we live in and very hard to be, like, really optimistic. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, going through that struggle and writing and, you know, and putting it out there and living with it has helped me kind of feel a little bit wiser and a little bit more steady than uh, I would have been otherwise. So it has, it's great. I think it has, and I, you, I'm sure you know this, Nicole and Mary, that, you know, it has more rewards than it does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the opposite of a reward. I think it just really, I just can't encourage people enough. If they've got a story to tell, tell it. Just make sure that, you know, the story you're telling is the one you want to tell and that it's as good a story as you can make it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's actually yeah. a good job because that was my second question. Um, I agree. Like my whole anthem since I graduated college was like, tell your story, find your voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like, share your secret. There's mm-hmm. so much power in that. And it's the first step to healing. And it also allows other people to say me too. Yeah. Um, but what I've realized now that I'm 41 and mm-hmm. I have three books out and speeches all over YouTube and all of these things, like there comes a point where you're looking back and a message that I sent out to the world 15 years ago, I might tweak a little bit now. There's some things I would like Mm -hmm. to retract and reframe and maybe say it a little different. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm wondering your thoughts on that. Well, I think, you know, for me, I mean, I would love to be, uh, you know, on a bestseller list somewhere, have three books under my belt instead of two and one more I'm working on about healthcare. But, um, 
So th there's an advantage, I think, to waiting a really long time. I wouldn't advise waiting <clears throat> me as long as I did. But um, how old are you? I'm 80. So uh, I was born in 1941. Uh, you have to scroll way down to get 1941 on anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm glad they still put it on there, but you know, yeah. <laughs> the bottom. generous. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I think maybe what's in there for you, Nicole, is to write a different book. Yeah. Um, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah and that's why, I, you know, putting out new material, I think, because I yeah. want people to know current me because we all have different versions of ourselves. Yeah. Especially when you're on the survivor journey, you know, mm -hmm. you get to a certain place during your twenties that, you know, is different than the place in your thirties. And some people yeah. don't ever tell until they're 50 or 60. So yeah. we're all yeah. on this journey. Yeah. And so for me, it is important to continually mm -hmm. put out new content. So people are growing with me. I don't regret yeah. that, but I would say that my message to people who might want to put out something that feels like the Bible to them at 25, just to right. be aware that that might be a little bit different for you when you get older, even if you so strongly believe what you're saying right now, yeah. we're all yeah. in process. Mm -hmm. This is a journey. And so that's another reason why I never say I'm healed. I don't believe anyone's ever just healed in this lifetime. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so we're all on that process and figuring out what the next thing is. And the thing that might feel really big to you right now is not going to feel big to you later. And the thing that yeah. doesn't feel big to you now might be bigger later. You never know what's coming. Yeah. Hey, real quick. I just wanted to let you guys know our current fall session for the Unleash Survivor e-course and support group has already kicked off. We're very excited for all the survivors who are joining us and it's just going to be such a beautiful journey. Sorry for those of you who didn't get in in time. Just kidding. I really want to offer another one this upcoming January. So please keep your eyes out for that. It will be found at imonevoice.org. You can find out the times. We often have scholarships for those interested and in need of financial help. So reach out to us for that if you're in need of that. Um, but plan ahead for that. I think it'll be a really good experience for many of you who've been thinking about it or have been looking for something to get involved with as far as like a, finding a small community. It's just such a safe place to be able to show up as you are to talk about, you know, the effects of abuse and the struggles that we're going through and to hear from others and know you're not alone. There's so much value in these groups. I can't say it enough. So please keep your eye out for the next course. The winter course will likely begin right after the new year. Also, we've got new merch. Check it out at the One Voice store. Go to imonevoice.org, click store. And we have some really sweet new artwork on some t-shirts, some just really empowering messages and wanted to let you know about it. You know, there's, there's some pieces of me that are, my daughter and I are doing this positive intelligence program with a friend who's a personal coach. And, you know, his contention is, is that, you know, get out a picture of yourself when you were a little kid, you know, before 13, when things really start to happen to you as a child, but, you know, get an early picture of yourself. Look at that kid. That kid's still in you. You know, that kid that was innocent and optimistic and curious and happy and whatever, you know, even the unhappiest kid, there's something in there. There's a light in that kid that, you know, and bring that light into yourself as, at any age. And, um, 
I, I did. I think that's a really important piece that even though, yeah, you might want to tweak some of the things you said, you might want to add to it. You might want to deepen some of the things that you wrote when you were in your 20s, maybe early 30s. But um, there's still that piece in you that is the you, the you, the real yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I don't What's think it worked for me it. is to say that was true for me then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it may not be true now, or it may yeah. be a better yeah. truth, or yeah. deeper truth or something else. And that's a beautiful thing because we're all evolving. We're all growing. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the same as I was when I was 25, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can't even remember 25. So <laughs> I'm, done with, I'm done with that. <laughs> You're done even trying to remember her. Well, I had a, I had a young child and I was, yeah, 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 it was, it was not a happy time. Yeah. 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 Well, what other kind of, um, I guess, tips would you have for young writers? I think, you know, bringing up Anne Lamont, who I obviously we all adore and love. Mm -hmm. Um, another one of her great quotes is, is, is that almost all good writing, you know, goes through terrible first efforts right it's like you've got to start somewhere and that's always been my message to young people or old people like who've come to me about writing I just say you just have to get started and I think a lot of people get hung up on you know well I don't have a literary agent I don't know how to get published I don't have this or that but like if you it's like anything else like you have to start somewhere you'll Mm -hmm. never end up anywhere yeah yeah yeah, I mean, uh, um, the first draft is, I mean, I- even several drafts are what you're telling yourself, I think. Yeah. They're, they're not for anybody but you. That's and right. they're kind That's of the, right. there's kind of the spine that your story is really going to live on. Um, and you're finding your why. You yeah. Know, your first drafts yeah. are like, is this even worth it? Mm-hmm. And why am I doing this? And you just keep going. It's like, yeah. to me, it's like a painting, <laughs> you know, like a painting you can paint over and you never even knew what was underneath it. You know, yeah. so many of my favorite paintings I wrote underneath the eventual outcome underneath it was like terrible words that I was struck like shame. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I would just draw like ugly, mm-hmm. like really dark stuff. And yeah. then I would cover it up. And so no one knew, but me what's underneath the final copy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what writing can look like too. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the first drafts, I mean, right. I was in this nine month memoir writing class. uh, And I would say I was done with the memoir. It was already off to she writes press. They had accepted it for 20 21 publication and I still could not sit down and say in words what my story was about I just couldn't I mean I could give you some you know bullet points but how what it was really about for me I couldn't quite get out um and it took months and months of you know, every once in a while, a question would pop up sometimes, you know, in the middle when I was supposed to be sleeping, you know, what is that story? What is this really about? Mm-hmm. And finally, a beta reader, uh, who was a man who loved my story about buying my mother a vibrator, by the way, he just thought that was one of the funniest stories ever. Um, okay. Well, we just he, took a hard turn. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry about <laughs> that. 
anyway, um, well, she had a, she never had good sex, so I thought, yeah. why not? Um, I, I, it was kind of like girlfriend kind of thing. Um, anyway, he said, this book is, he said, I think your story is about reconciliation and not just with your mother, but reconciling with your past, what happened mm-hmm. to you, you know? That seems to me to be the word that describes this book. And he'd read it several times, as you know, as a beta reader. And um, I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, I think that's the word I've been looking for. I could not find it. Um, yeah. So, some, you know, things happen in unplanned and planned ways. And I, I mostly find the unplanned the most interesting and yeah. uh, usually coming from a place that is deeper and harder to get to. And then it just kind of like, says, all right, now I'm coming up, get ready. (laughs) And it it appears, you know, it's like, Hmm. oh, all that head scratching. And here it was, it just was waiting for the right moment. You know, like a lot of other things, like it just takes the right moment to have it be what what happens. Um, You know, I feel like, Barbara, you have had a, almost like a relationship with your writing and your story and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's such a beautiful thing because for you to, it's like this part of you and it's like someone that's with you, you're always like thinking about it and you're working things out with it. And then, you know, you're not sure about, so some things are confusing you about this thing that you actually made, but it's like, it's almost becoming personified. Mm -hmm. And then someone else can come along and clear things up about your relationship with this creation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that part of it. And I think that's really important. I mean, as a writer, as an artist, as a creative, those are all very important things, but I'm wondering if there's there's anything to be said about stepping away for a little bit. Did you ever have an experience with that? Like you needed to kind of put it down, access the other side of your brain for a little while, self-care or, or was that not part of your journey? Uh, It's very hard for me to do because Mm -hmm. when I'm writing, even when I'm just going over, you know, the chapter that I've just been over four or five times when I'm writing, I'm the happiest. That's when I Mm -hmm. am happiest in the world um, oh I love that yeah so um yeah it's not a job for you no and you know this whole thing how to get your butt in the chair I'd like my butt's in the chair I don't have to yeah. do it you know yeah um I mean there's days when I don't write because I've got other things to do or I'm just not there yeah but boy as soon as I start writing in my head at night and you've yeah. probably been through this Nicole you know working on something and I, you know, I'm writing, and of course, it's always more brilliant than anything I could possibly write in the daylight. But um, yeah. that's a signal to me. Okay, you need to really, you know, turn that chapter on, turn it on, get your computer, you know, get going. Yeah. Um, and then I'm always ready. So I've taken, a, you know, a few days off, maybe, maybe yeah. the most, maybe two or three. Yeah. And then I just miss it. I miss that. Mm-hmm. way I feel not so much the work but the way I feel when I am doing something oh yeah um, yeah that must so, be quite a signal to you when you're walking out your purpose yeah yeah uh, I mean it's you know it, books saved my life as a kid um and they have never let me down I mean I you know there's a lot of books I think are just <laughs> not worth reading yeah. um I'm not shy about saying it I have I've mentioned that on some blogs but um uh but, you know, it's just always been the way I coped. Um, and, uh, you know, when things were really crazy in my house, I just went into my room and got out a book. Um, you know, storybook dolls and dolls and all the other stuff. 
never did it for me, but a book really did. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I worked at the library until I got married. I, you know, books are just, you know, books have just meant everything to me. Um, mm. And I wanted to be a writer from when I was a little kid. I wanted to be, you know, Caddy Woodlawn. I don't even know if you know that book, but, you know, no. I just, oh, I mean, she was friends with Indians. I thought, wow, I want to be like her. Yeah. <laughs> she had adventures and, you know, like, oh man, I want to have adventures too. And oh, I want to cool. write about adventures and, yeah, so yeah. you know, it's like, and you know, it took me forever to get to enough time and money together to be a writer. But, yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I had to have like a day job for years and years and years, and had kids and all that sort of stuff. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I just think of you know, one of the things is if that, if that, if writing is a way that you find your way in the world, boy, you know, sit down and do it, and yeah, um, yeah and also a, take a little pill of reality and that it's never going to then become oh, the yeah. thing that pays the bills like no no yeah. <laughs> no do never say I mean unless you you know unless you're some fluky best-selling whatever you know yeah <laughs> you're never going to make any money writing that's books right. I just, think a lot of people reality. need to hear yeah. that yeah, yeah. yeah day jobs are very important I mean yeah. I still write grants to fill in you know I write I've now I feel like writing grants for a couple of nonprofits is how I pay for some of my, you know, publicity people. And, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, it's just a trade-off. It's like, right. yeah. I like to write their grants and <laughs> I like to have publicity. So what's, what's so bad right. about that? You know? That's um, right. Yeah. Don't, don't ever go in thinking that, <laughs> you know, you're going <clears> to, <throat> yeah. 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 Checks are going to come rolling in because, oh, you're going to get a six-figure deal, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. But that doesn't take away your hunger to walk out this no. purpose, right? <laughs> no, I'm fine with that, you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'd like to sell my books, of course, but, um, and, you know, and I urge all of your listeners to, <laughs> to check out the Red Kitchen. But, yeah. Um, but, you know, other than that, I don't, I don't have any kind of like stars in my eyes or feel like I failed because... You know, nobody in the New York Times picked up my book and wanted to review it or something. Cause yeah, that's just not why I'm. It's just not why I wrote the book. I that's right. That's I really right. wrote the book for for the readers and and the readers. I hope to get something out of it, mm-hmm. and it resonates for something in them that connects to me, and that we connect as people rather than you know like I'm this you know big deal writer and that you know all these little people out there are buying my books. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> Minions. <laughs> I'd love for you to end um, to start time together with um, giving us just a quick synopsis of the Red Kitchen and where people you would like for people to find it. Oh, okay. And then also, I want to know your favorite childhood book. Oh, okay. Uh, so um, the synopsis is basically a, a story of. Uh, kind of growing up in a chaotic family and not knowing exactly who I was because I was such a pleaser. And I went to Kenya uh, for a master's degree internship and it changed my life. And I really discovered, I took all the labels off myself, wife, mother, sister, daughter. And I was just this woman in a little village in Kenya and um, it changed everything for me. And with that, I found like myself and I found enough courage to go ahead and be more about who I wanted to be and less about what anybody else wanted me to be. And in the process, you know, I discovered 
my memory of an early abuse from my father and um, and stopped being at, so at odds with my mother and she and I, mostly from my efforts, but she was a willing participant and a wonderful woman in her own right. Uh, we reconciled and um, made the best out of both of our lives that I think was possible, um, particularly her. I feel like she, her last 20 years of, of her life were really about her and not about anybody else and not in a selfish way, but she really came into her own and she's funny and smart and hard to fool and um, was just a pleasure mostly, mostly to be around. But um, that's what the book is about basically. Um, The childhood book, that was that Caddy Woodlawn book when I read probably, I don't know, maybe third or fourth grade. Okay. And that girl, I wanted to be that girl. Okay. Um, she was as, as alive to me. I, I often never thought of her as a character in a book. I mean, she was so alive to me. Like, mm. like every once in a while you read a book that just the character yeah. is so living for you. You know, there's so many things that you want that they have or that they want. You just connect and you can't unconnect. Um, mm. My daughter's favorite book is I'm she drew a picture and I embroidered it up on my wall here was blueberries for Sal because and I loved it because you know I have two daughters and um we didn't always always get along (laughs) but the mom and the girl go up and pick blueberries together and you know like this really sweet little kind of um symbol of uh, mothers and daughters I really like um Mm -hmm. it's sweet and to get the book, uh, you know, any uh, independent bookstore could order it for you. It's certainly orderable. It's on Amazon. You can get it as a, on Kindle or you can get it as an actual book. You know, the, Amazon controls about half the market of the books now. They're, you know, if you print 700 books, 350 go to Amazon right off the bat. So, you know, I'm not a fan of Jeff Bezos but I'd like to I'd like to sell my books yeah and I would ask you know if you if you buy the book or read the Kindle a review of it anywhere where it's on you know it's on Goodreads and BookBub and um, a review of it whatever the review is you know hoping for not one star but you know it's your opinion and it's always helpful it moves books around on the algorithms which has seemed to be like the ruling <laughs> <laughs> the ruler of book selling now it's the mm-hmm. algorithms <laughs> um yes. anyway that's you know and um you know ask your library buy it yeah you know? oh, yeah. yeah we love libraries yeah and then do. your website barbara because yeah. not only do you sell your book um but you also have a other makers link yes of, with great information mm-hmm. on people that you like to network with that, that you i appreciate. admire yeah yeah yeah, and uh, you know you in particular. So you're mm-hmm. the, you're the latest maker on that on my Woo-hoo. website. Oh, <laughs> and I write a blog. Thank you, Barbara. Blog. Yeah. Oh, that was a pleasure. It was wonderful. And I also write a blog, and it's going to go to two blogs a month, a post a month now. So awesome. Okay. Anyway, my latest one is about healthcare, which is my latest battle. You know. Yeah. You, you have your you have your journey. I have mine around healthcare because I worked in healthcare for years and I just mm. think it's an abominable shape and, um, and I don't know quite what to do about it, but I have some ideas. So anyway, and that's where we start. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm writing, I'm writing another memoir about that and about uh, awesome. healthcare and doctors and 
Okay. There'll be a piece in there about talking doctors talking to trauma patients, which I yeah. know you you know well about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, definitely have a big passion to educate the healthcare yeah. and law enforcement field on being more trauma oh, yeah. informed with their language the way they. That's another one. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. But your website, so the blog will be connected to your website, correct? It is. Great. Yeah, okay. Website, yeah. And your website is. It's barbaraclark.net. Got it's it. Barbara Clark with an E. Clark with yeah. an E. Yeah. Dot net. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh, it's always such a pleasure. Thank you, yes. Barbara, for your time today. Thank you. Yeah. I could chat with you too forever. <laughs> yes, I agree. We'll have All to right. do another one soon, I'm sure. All right. Good. We'll have some topics ready to go here soon. Okay. So. Thanks, Barbara. Have <laughs> a great Thank day. You. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.